This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. This week there's a lot of major anniversaries of huge historical events. Of course, tomorrow the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. We'll have coverage of that for you tomorrow. But here's another major anniversary this week. 30 years ago this week, the world watched in shock as the Chinese government cracked down on peaceful protesters in Tiananmen Square. More than one million students and workers who occupied the square for weeks, uh, demanding freedom, democracy, and a higher quality of life, the Chinese government responded with tanks and with violence. The official death count, still officially unknown, but it's estimated to be anywhere from hundreds to perhaps thousands. If you think about one of the most enduring images of the Tiananmen Square protests. It's certainly what the protester who came to be known as the Tank Man. This was the protester who approached a column of tanks entering Tiananmen Square, stood in front of those tanks. The tank tried to go around him. He kept standing in front of that those tanks. He eventually crawled up on one of the tanks as well. This was in, these were incredible images that took place on June 5th, 1989, 30 years ago today. Have a listen to this. This is CNN photojournalist Jonathan Sher. This is the guy who shot the the iconic images of that uh, tank man 30 years ago today. Here he is recalling it. We saw the man jump out into the street. I didn't actually see it initially, actually. Another cameraman by the name of Kit Schwartz saw it and said, hey, look at that guy. So I trained my camera on him, and uh, we saw him stand there, block the tanks, and there was some conversation going on. Um, My lens was on its doubler, which means it was very far away. Um, So it was a little bit shaky, as you can see on the the film. And what happened was he, the, the tanks tried to go around him, and they couldn't. So then they stopped, and they thought they would try to scare him away by shooting, uh, their rifles or machine guns over his head. Well, over his head, uh, two blocks down, was basically at us. And the bullets were coming by us so, so close that we could actually hear them go vroom, vroom, right over our heads. It was Jonathan Scher talking about the tank man who stood up in front of that column of tanks 30 years ago today. Let's talk now about the Tiananmen Square protest with my guest, Jonathan Manthorpe, foreign correspondent, international affairs columnist. He's the author of the new book, Claws of the Panda, Beijing's Campaign of Influence and Intimidation to Canada in Canada. Jonathan, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Where were you 30 years ago when the Tiananmen Square protests were happening? <laughs> I was in Africa. Um, mm. And I tell you, not a lot of news about this uh, seeped through into uh, Zimbabwe, where I was based at the time. But uh, very soon afterwards, I was posted to Asia by Southern News. And I, um, fairly soon after I arrived in Hong Kong, I went up to Beijing and uh, started to get acquainted with what had happened. I remember one of my first mornings there driving down the road past, uh, uh, across the top of Tiananmen Square in front of the uh, the Forbidden City, and the uh, uh, and the, the the cab sort of bumped along the road, and the uh, the cab driver said to me, he said, tanks. And so those were ruts left in the road from the, the where the tanks had gone down a couple of years before. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, they, one of the things that I did on that first trip 
I went to the People's Liberation Army Museum, and hanging on the wall there was a map with um, uh, uh, red stars on close to 200 cities. I think actually I've done research later, it was 163 cities. Uh, And uh, those were marked because there had been riots and demonstrations in all those cities right across China. And this was a map sort of applauding the PLA for putting down what the Communist Party, of course, saw as a national uprising against the party. Um, and, I, and I think we often forget that, that this was a national uprising. Right. It happened in hundreds of cities or scores of cities across China. Um, and that, of course, was one reason why, in the end, the Communist Party instituted martial law and pulled out the troops to crush it. Okay, 30 years later, what are the what are the people in China being told about this event today? Is it is it is yeah. discussion well, they're of not this being officially told anything. Nothing. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean the, the the tank man story is interesting uh, Mike because when I first started going to uh, China, uh they, they that image which is now banned was was played quite often on Chinese television and the reason was they said that of course it showed the humanity of the tank drivers that they didn't run over the man. Um, now, you have to remember that the Tiananmen Square was a, a, a really important moment in the relationship between the Chinese people and the People's Liberation Army. Up until that point, of course, Chinese people had been told for decades that you know, the, the army is the people's army. Well, what they learned on that night of June 4th, 5th, uh, June 3rd, 4th, was, of course, that the the army is not the people's army, it's the Communist Party's army. And so there's been a really persistent effort over the years to try to rebuild the reputation of the PLA, of the People's Liberation Army, with the Chinese people. And early on, they did use that tank man image uh, to try to show the humanity of the People's Liberation Army. But, of course, it has not failed. It it failed, and they've... um, uh, they've stopped it, uh, and they now ban that image. Although, of course, I think uh, uh, everyone in China really knows all about it. Um, I don't know. There was the last few days there was a BBC uh, um, uh, reporter, uh, John Sugworth, who went around Beijing rather bravely, I thought, and sort of started showing the image of the tank man to people and uh, asking if they knew what it was and. Um, you could see that most of them, uh, in their eyes, you'd see in their eyes, most of them knew exactly what it was, although, of course, they they denied to him that it was of any interest to them at all. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah uh, and that's, of course, d- despite the efforts of, of the Chinese government to, to suppress the memory of this. Is I was reading a, a Guardian newspaper report about how more than 3,200 keywords entered on computers and, and thousands of photos related to the protests and the massacre, massacre are officially censored in China. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I I think one has to remember also, uh, Mike, that, uh, you know, everybody in China knew about this at the time. They knew what was going on in Beijing, of course, in many cities. It was going on uh, in their own cities. When I started traveling around, I I started asking people how many people had been killed in their city at that time. And I I gathered a whole list of hundreds and hundreds of of people who had been killed as the military uh, moved against uh, demonstrators in uh, in various cities. One has to remember, too, of course, and I've got some interesting stuff in front of me here, um, that the demonstrations went on in other cities 
many of them in response to the, the massacre in Beijing for many days afterwards. I've got in front of me here um, some copies of reports that were sent to the Chinese leadership, to Party Central and the State Council. Now, here's just June 5th, which is you know, 30 years ago today. Shanghai, more than 30,000 students brought downtown traffic to a standstill by using 1,200 motor buses and electric buses as roadblocks. Uh, Tianjin, more than 7,000 students took to the streets. Harbin, uh, nearly 20,000 students erected roadblocks at downtown intersections. Uh, Changchun, more than 10,000 students marched in the rain carrying wreaths. Uh, Taiyun, more than 50,000 students, teachers and residents, had a memorial meeting at Mayfair Square. Xi'an, more than 4,000 students, took to the streets. Uh, Wuhan, more than 20,000 students marched. More than 5,000 of them sat at the entrance to the Wuchang Bridge. Uh, Changsha, more than 20,000 students marched. And this went on for days and days afterwards. It took, uh, it took a long time for... Uh, the party to get uh, control of the country. So, you know, everyone in China was aware of what had happened in uh, in uh, uh, in Tiananmen Square, in large part because it was, you know it was happening in their cities as well. And okay. um, the uh, and the party had to use extreme violence to bring the country back under control. And uh, uh, you know, the, all the all the reasons uh, for the outbreak of the student demonstrations. Uh, in in 1989, beginning uh, in March, April, uh, they're all still there. They're all still waiting to break out again, and I'm sure at some point they will. Do you think, just in the last minute and a half we got left here, Jonathan, do you think that we've obviously seen a lot of changes in China? It's a much more prosperous uh, country now, uh, very very wealthy country in, in many ways, a high-tech country. Do you, Is there any doubt in your mind that if if protests like this erupted again, whether the, the Chinese military and the Chinese government would respond in a similar fashion in, in, in putting down protests. Would no, I think they would, they would react in exactly the same way. I mean, we heard the defense minister uh, speaking in Shanghai over the weekend, uh, justifying the crackdown, saying the country was in turmoil and it was absolutely justified. I mean, we've also seen, of course, uh, in the last, since 2012, since Xi Jinping came to power, we've seen uh, the implementation, the creation, the building of perhaps the most sophisticated, high-tech, authoritarian state in the history of the world. Um, I mean, they, they, are, they are using technology in the most uh, almost obscene ways to be able to control a population of 1.3, 1.4 billion people. Uh, they have these vast uh, concentration camps in uh, Xinjiang province where they're trying to, quote, re-educate or although brainwash is probably a better word, uh, uh, two or three million of the uh, the local population there. They're uh, still engaged in cultural genocide in, in Tibet. They are trying to uh, very successfully um, uh, destroy freedom of freedom of the judiciary and law in, in Hong Kong, and they've got, made no progress on on, uh, and will no, make no progress on uh, uh, creating democratic institutions there. And of course, they're getting more and more loud in their um, uh, in, in their threats to invade Taiwan. So uh, this is uh, there, okay. there's been great economic advance, but there's been absolutely no social or political advance at all. Jonathan, it's always a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. I appreciate it a lot. That is Jonathan Manthorpe. 
his terrific book, which I highly recommend to you, Claws of the Panda, Beijing's Campaign of Influence and Intimidation in Canada.